Welcome to Paper Money, the podcast covering the business side of the game industry. I'm Ben Clark. And I'm Rhett Kipp. Today is February 8th, 2013. Woohoo! We made it to February. I know, and uh, a little late, by the way. We've been trying to get together for about two weeks to do this show, and one or the other of us has been busy every single night between basically the last week of January and now. So, Yeah. Well, I, I would like to point out, up yours, Mayans, we're still here. I get a whole year of that. You know that. You just you just you just get around with that. <laughs> just get keep going, you know. You know, you can use that joke now in perpetuity. That's right. As as long as the, the world is still here. Uh that said, uh given the weather recently, uh that was another reason, really. The just the this it's here in West Michigan, a little bit over in Chicago, it's been a little crazy. Yeah, we've had uh well we've gotten some winter actually this year, but uh the crazy part is that we haven't had much winter this year here. Yeah. Well, we uh, we didn't have it was like 57 degrees and then one day whoom, it all came down. Just, you know, we had 25 inches of snow. You're my hero. At least we don't live in Boston. <laughs> Boston. You know, it, it, we get that kind of snow in West Michigan on a regular basis. It's I, I would just like to point out that I've actually talked to some of my crew that were going to Toy Fair. Yeah. They aren't going to Toy Fair. Oh, that's they right. They canceled. They all can't the get in. Yeah, that's right. All the flights are all being canceled. Man, and Toy Fair starts what uh, Sunday? Sunday, and they see, can't get in. Wow. Yeah. See, that's the thing. By the way, for those of you who are listening before, we wanted to do a separate show between our year-end previews, which we're doing this show, or excuse me, our our, our predictions for 2013, and we were going to do a, a, a Toy Fair preview show. And as luck would have it, we we weren't able to do that. So what we're going to do is is going to do a for us, rapid-fire turnaround uh, and get another show out uh, within the next couple of weeks talking about Toy Fair. There's, uh, quite frankly, there's not a lot of news right now because it's all coming out next week at Toy Fair. Yeah, well, and, you know, given the weather, maybe there is very little to report about. Well, that'll be an exciting report unto itself. And this year, Toy Fair, nothing happened because no one could get there. This just in from Toy Fair, Peanuts good at Delta Sky Lounge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Scary stuff. Anyway. All right, so let's... uh, Let's jump into the scarce news here before we get to our commentary section and the 2013 predictions. And I want to lead off with uh, what I think is it's a big story. It's not a surprise. It's in context. And I think those of you who've been listening to the show will go, well, that's a no-brainer. And that is Wizards of the Coast releasing the D&D PDFs again. Yep. Yeah, that's a really big, cool thing. Um, They're releasing second edition product. Uh, first edition product I understand is also possible in the PDF um, though that's more problematic because they have to do more conversion on that um, those were never done as electronic files <laughs> I, when I worked on my high school newspaper it was still the old cut and paste school it was like just before word processors came out and I feel for the guy yeah I mean that's that's basically the problem of everything that was developed before they hit Second edition is was a pre-electronic, well, pre-simple electronic yeah. but, but, universe like we have now. But this is a no-brainer for them. They, they, now, for those of you who don't know the history, these were the second edition and on were available as PDFs previously, and Wizards pulled them from the market, and they have not been on the market for what two years now? Two or three, yeah, yeah, two or three years. And but here's here's what it does. It gets you excited about old school D and D for the next year until they can come out with D and D five. Right, and the other thing they're doing is they are reprinting 
hardbound editions of the rules. So second edition hardbounds will be out in 2013. Um, they just, as of today, uh, re-released the Unearth Arcana in a hardcover copy edition. And people um, are really excited you know, about that. I never thought Unearthed Arcana was that cool, but people are like, oh, man, that was my favorite book. I'm going to go out and buy another copy because I wore out the last one. Well, that was certainly the big hit. I mean, you know, Unearthed Arcana was known as Player's Handbook 2 when it came out. Um, it, it's the only book I ever remember that TSR literally blew their print run so badly. And to put some perspective on that, probably in the hundreds of thousands pieces were initially printed and it was still gone in like under a week okay all right so maybe okay all right i'm wrong i just never i don't know i never i never, i didn't think it was that cool i remember thumbing through in the game store and going oh, this is pretty cool but i don't need to own it but anyways so but the, here's the thing about that uh what's the page count do you know have you seen it yet uh you know i didn't look into it i, I, I wasn't it, it I, I thought it was fairly slim what it's it, pro- my guess is it's probably somewhere between 144 to 180. Okay, and it's 50 it, bucks, and it's 50 dollars. Well, you know, a, a company who shall remain nameless who puts out well codexes um, <laughs> just released their their Space Marine Codex mm. Circle Circle yes. R trademark. Um, you know, for 50 dollars as well, and that's just over 100 pages. Yes, and their names rhyme with Lames Lurk Shop. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. They would be the guys who are currently uh, launching the We Own Space Marine, the name, and no one else, including uh, Amazon or anybody else, can ever use it for anything that isn't us. Well, you know, just before we went on the air, uh, Robert Miller uh, put a story up on Purple Pawn that Games Workshop has issued a press release because this has become such an internet thing, right? That they're that they're telling Amazon to take down this book called it has Space Marine in the title. Yeah, and talking about defending their intellectual property, blah blah blah. And basically, what it is, it's a Games Workshop lawyer saying what Games Workshop normally says, uh, but it doesn't say that you can use. You know, anyways, the the point of the matter is, this Game Workshop addressed it, and and really. They are tone deaf to the internet. Is, is well, they, really... ha- they I mean, they, they truly have to respond to this because this is not just on the internet. This has actually made BBC News. This has made the nightly news. This, this is becoming yeah. a big deal. Um, I think what they're going to run into eventually, because there's been a lot of co- you know conversation about this and GW's position. Um, the guy who they're currently after, he doesn't have the money to take him on. They're right. going to walk into Paramount one day and say, you know, we've got the right to Space Marine. And Paramount's going to drop 4,000 lawyers on their head and say, we'd like to discuss that with you. Yes. this which we, Remember the time when Avalon Hill sued Microsoft? Yeah. <laughs> what did that last, like a minute and a half before uh, Microsoft or micro, uh, went out and bought the source rights to their game and then pulled the rights? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's that kind of a problem, you know. You when you're when you're playing against small, you know, you know, you yeah. feel like you're the big fish in a in the big pond, um, and you know you're scaring all the little fish off. You know, you can throw a lot of weight around, and then when suddenly something as massive as Disney, you know, opens its eyeball at you, 
and you know you realize you're a minnow swimming with you know great whites um it's over fast i like the idea of disney as smog um i think smog tiptoe through the biggest disney Uh. but anyways uh so yeah there's uh Lots, uh, lots of minor stuff going on, and then the one really big story this week broke just yesterday. Monopoly ditches the iron for the cat. Yeah, I know many of My you. My childhood's been destroyed. I I don't think I ever played with the iron. Oh choice. God, I love the iron. The iron was like we had so much fun with the iron. It wasn't as cool as the battleship. I don't even remember having a battleship. My brother and I would would probably have like clawed each other's eyes out at one point to play the car but it had to be the car or the top hat yeah the, well the top hat was we never played with the top hat because that always held the money down on in, on uh, free parking oh we did oh, okay all right well <laughs> suffice to say that but I, now this is by the way and this is how you conduct a pr campaign when you're hasbro you put it on the internet and you let people vote for their favorite piece and the least one the one that gets the least votes gets cast off the island uh i i forgot how they picked the cat to replace it uh, also probably put to an internet vote um but no word yet on whether the cat has a cheeseburger or not but the the thing about it is is this is brilliant game publicity stuff to get your game out into the world uh and break into people's consciousness who aren't thinking about board games regularly because all of a sudden they had other companies running promotions and campaigns to get people to vote for the piece that benefited, you know, that was, it was bizarre. There were companies that were not even game related who were saying, Hey, go over here and vote for this. Um, it, anyways, it was a brilliant PR stroke. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's great. Uh, I, and kudos, kudos yeah. to, to them I, for that one. And I know our listening public is, is like a monopoly. Oh my God, really? But you know what? For, 99% of the adult population of North America, that is board games. Yeah, and, they, and you so, know, it's still absolutely recognized. Everybody knows what Monopoly is, whether they played it as a board game or an electronic version of the yeah. game. Um, but everybody knows what Monopoly is, and it's uh, closing in on uh, like 100 years, I think. Uh, no, we have. I think it was it was in the 30s. We have a, we have a few few more to go. But, I mean, the thing prints, I mean, they print like a million copies a year. Yeah, yeah. And well, so, you know, this is this is an exciting year personally for me because not speaking counting, of ancient yeah. history, the but, Wizard of Oz movie will be seventy five this year. Wow. Yeah, eh, mm. makes me feel a little older. Let's let's Think, not. Yeah, let's not. Let's, let's go on. Yes, let's go further down the yellow brick road, as it were. Who got it? So, got the little reference in. I'm very excited about that. Hoorah! I know that. Hence the little. Yeah. All right. Forget it. 2013 predictions. I know this is the moment you've all been waiting for with bated breath since our last show. All three of you. Dang it, we're up to six. I doubled it. In the pre-show. We're huge. Yeah, we've doubled. 200%, 100% growth. All right, so anyways, what we're going to do, folks, uh, for those of you who haven't uh, listened to one of our prediction shows before, we're going to uh, break the markets down. We're going to go through RPGs and, the, and uh, hobby market board games. CCGs, mass market, and a couple of other categories, and predict what we think is going to happen in 2013. Now, we're not going to call trends out to 2016. Um, we're going to just, just for the next, you know, calendar year, what do we think is going to happen in the industry and uh, for that particular game category. And at the end of the year, unlike many pundits, we will go back to these predictions and we will grade ourselves on how we did. So last year we were outstanding. 
Like we were. We, we probably got ourselves a, a solid B plus, maybe even an A. I would, we, were the, we were the smartest men in the industry last year, bar none. I want that and, and plastered. And we can prove it by our giant paychecks. That's right. I want that plastered all over Twitter. <laughs> Clark proclaims. Because <laughs> yeah. it could be, and I would never know. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say. All right, let's start with the RPG market. This is a this is a big one, and realistically, now Rhett, we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, in fact, we've talked about this a lot. But I don't think there's going to be any big changes in the RPG market until Gen Con uh, or sometime this fall when Wizards announces more details on D and D five, which we know is not coming out until 2014. Yeah, the only to to me the only thing that could make a giant impact. And I'm not saying that people won't make an impact on the market. There's a number of RPGs coming out this year. Correct. Um, but the only one that I could see making a giant impact would be Star Wars. Um, I still don't think it's going to knock Pathfinder down. Um, that's, no. That's going to be my only prediction specific to placement on uh, on RPGs. Uh, yeah, the the big gun is still D&D. Yes. Um, and it gets and it gets one more crack, you know. They 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 have to make five work because if they don't make five work, we'll just be talking about Pathfinder and you know the forty k RPG and so on and so forth for the rest of eternity. And well, you know, this is interesting. We had talked about how Pathfinder was doing an OGL type project and that it hadn't really taken fire yet. I saw just the was it last week or the week before someone had come out with a science fiction. Uh, Pathfinder rule set. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that that is starting. People are starting to to take advantage of that. But realistically, like I said, Pathfinder and D and D are going to stay. I think they're going to stay where they are. The market is in stasis until the players get a chance to really see what D and D five is going to be like. Hey, now, absolutely. I mean, you know, as I say, I I, I think we're going to continue to see certain RPGs come out there and make an impact. But I don't think we're going to see anybody become correct super I, dominant. No one's yeah. going to play for the top spot, top slot until fifth edition. Correct. I think like right. And 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 again, let me. I having a couple years ago been uh, branded as a cretinous heathen uh, for saying that there had been no big changes in the industry in the one year. Um, really, what I'm saying is that there's no game changers coming in the pipe now. I know Rhett, your company is relaunching Shadowrun. I think this summer. Yep. And I think that's gonna that's gonna be a big impact, um, and it will reinvigorate Shadowrun. And I think, quite frankly, it has a real chance of reinvigorating Cyberpunk, which I think is showing signs of life as a genre again. And the PDF market is going to continue to grow. Uh, we we've said this the last couple of years; it always does. And with the launch of the D and D stuff, I think you're going to bring people in for the D and D who might discover other small market stuff that they wouldn't have before because now they're looking for the PDFs. But but like I said, the the Pathfinder and D and D at the top. I don't think that there's not going to be any tectonic shift until we see what D and D five does. And even then, we might have to wait till it comes out in 2014. Um, I'm sure we're going to have to wait for it to come out. And you know, I'll, I'll lay that on the line. Woohoo! There's a prediction for 2014. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to intimidate a few people up till then. There's going to be a lot of sampling before this product comes out, though. That, that is one thing that yes. Wizards is doing this time that was not done with 4th edition. And 
there are lots and lots of people that are doing the beta testing for it. There's a lot of alpha testing out there. Uh, the um, Encounters promotion, which Wizards does, is currently working between, is it 4th edition, is it 5th edition type of stuff. So way before they actually launch it, people will have a much better feel for what this product is going to look like than what they did with 4th edition. Correct. And of course, um, Rhett, I think you you uh, you called this be- before I did, but there's, so I'll let you say it, there's one other wild card in the deck for role-playing this year. Well, it's Star Wars. Yeah. And now when is Star Wars coming out? We talked about this in the pre-show, and I wasn't paying attention because... They've launched the. They've already launched the beta versions of the game, but I believe the actual game itself is a late spring project. So call it April. Um, okay. I believe it's actually supposed to be in stores before we get into the summer. So quite frankly, it, it, if it's if it's good, if it's well received, it has a chance to to do more than be the Star Wars role playing game and be quite uh, and and be big, big. Yeah, I mean, it's got fantasy flight behind it, which you know they've got real leverage and real power. Um, it's got Disney behind it. And it used to be Lucasfilms, but it now has Disney behind it. And that could be interesting because Disney just announced that they're, in addition to the new trilogy they're going to do, they're going to do two spinoffs yes. in movies. They're going to do a Boba Fett line and they're going to do a, a Han Solo line. Well, can I, can I can uh, pause for a, a you second? Know, so this is going to be a big media thing. I just need to say this before we continue any further. I really hate Boba Fett. He's like the least interesting character in that entire six series of movies. Um, I'm not even going to go down to argue Star Wars iconology right. and everything else with you. But let's face it, you know Han, sh- Han shoots first. That's all that matters. Yes. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm done now. We, we've gone there. But yeah, the, I think the Star Wars launch has a has a has a real chance of being something more than the Star Wars RPG. Um, FFG has shown uh, they did real they quite frankly they did much better than I expected with the Warhammer titles in terms of the RPGs, and so I, I'm hoping that they'll do the same with Star Wars. Yeah, if I were if I were out there shopping a license, uh, you know, Fantasy Flight would definitely be on the top of my list. There, there's nothing I don't have on a positive level for them other than. <laughs> they have so much stuff, you might get lost in the noise of FFG. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, let's move on uh, to the board game market. And, Rhett, you, why don't you go ahead and go first? Well, I expect pretty much what we've seen. Uh, more continued growth. Um, there'll be a lot of cool stuff out there, um, you know, because there has continued to be a lot of cool stuff out there. There'll be fewer hits. Um, even the even the hits won't be as big as hits as they were, uh, there could be a breakout. You know, we, we we certainly can't look at something. I don't have anything that I see, you know, has an iron in the fire per se that I can say, hey, you know, these guys are coming up with, uh, you know, Magic Mark Two or uh, Dominion or, you know, something of that level. Even mm-hmm. just to keep it in the board game levels of Dominion, where it's the game that everybody really has to have if you're a board gamer. Um, right. I. I Again, I think the problem is too you know too large a selection. Yeah, you know we saw this at the tail end of the OGL boom. There yeah. was so much role playing supplement material on the market that 
if you wanted to stock it all, you'd carry one of everything and nobody made any money because there was, you know, everybody, right? The market was expanded, but nobody made any money because the number of companies was, was so expanded. And, and, and to some, to some point, I think this is, is, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you up to a point on this. And the reason for that is it takes, I, it takes a lot more capital to launch a board game than it takes to launch an adventure game or a role-playing supplement because you can print a book fairly cheaply, but it costs a lot more to do box, board, parts, etc., etc., assembly. And I, I so because I think that barrier to entry is a little higher, so I don't think we'll see quite the flood that we saw before, but I do think you're right. The, the pie is expanding, but not at the rate the number of companies taking a share of that pie is expanding in the board game market. I'm also looking at not just the limited number of new players coming into the market, but just the continued expansion to the volume of titles by the people already in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the now I have said in previous years that I think that this market will plateau and I've been wrong. So this year I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say we're going to see continued growth. Um, but as profits shrink because the pie is being divided more, that's when we'll start. That's when we'll start to see. I guess my question is: Is this year the inflection point? Right, growth won't stop, but does it start to slow down? And so well, it, that's 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 where I, I twenty thirteen might be that year. It might be twenty fourteen. Um, we'll get to the part of why I don't think it's going to take. It's going to take longer than it would have if it wasn't for something new that revolutionized the industry. Yeah, and we'll get there. Eventually, someday. Yes. Uh, we're not predicting it this year, having taken it in the taken it in the shorts on that. No, I previously. still think we're going to continue to see growth, yeah. and um, you know, I'll, I'll stick with that and stick with the you know why it'll be a little less. All right, moving on to the CCG market, collectible card games. Here, let me. Brett, this has gotten so boring at this point. Magic: The Gathering will dominate. All others will wither and die. Um, I think that's even more so than ever before. I'm really, really wondering if this year CCGs will be magic. Maybe, you know, uh, AEG will ma- be able to maintain the uh, L5R. Um, I would hope so. I really like it. I really think AEG, you know, is a great guys. Um, but they're it. Right now, they're like the players. For, right now, I for think, the collectibles. Now, Wizards, I and think, was doing something. My with, position oh, on oh, this one sorry. is I think that the bigger players, the players that could make a difference in this, are about to leave the CCG market. Well, now, Wizards, I think, was was trying to push the, was it Calamundi, Cala, the, the, what's their TV show tie in card game? Yeah, that didn't seem to do much. Yeah, I think they're relaunching it. Uh, but again, this is just more proof that Magic the Gathering, which is. Uh, as we found out last year, still growing uh, and doing very well, but there's nothing else in the market. Now, the only other thing that could change this threat, quick. Star Wars. Yeah, but okay. it's a question of does Fantasy Flight create a collectible for Star Wars, be it a collectible card game, they've got a living card game, yeah. but a collectible card game, do they create a collectible toy line? You know, Do we end up with a new minis game out there with characters that are you know the collectible state as opposed to like they've already got the X-wing out there they're non-collectible right so basically if they come out with you're thinking like Star Wars Skylanders 
well, I, I won't go that far, but I would say, you know, on the more traditional one, like the Star Wars D&D or the Star Wars Star Wars that Wizards of the Coast did. Yeah. A collectible game where, you know, you're going to have crossover sales to your RPG market and yeah. so on. I don't think they'll challenge their LCG. I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll be content with their living card game with Star Wars and move on. But like I said, if they were to do it, and they have not announced it, or even uh, there's not even any rumor that they would, but it would it would change the game. Yeah, so. and like I say, to me, the only one I would see it doing in is is the people part of it. You know, the stormtroopers and right. Luke Skywalkers and those characters being the place that they would they would go to because it doesn't compete with anything else they do. Correct. Right. So, moving on from the CCG market, which is stabilized and, and as we predicted, started to enter a slight decline, let's move to the mass market. Now, the mass market, the past few years, in terms of the game market, has shrunk, what, seven, six, between six and eight percent, really, the last two years in a row. Yeah. As basically, as the economy has recovered, people have forgotten that they have board games. And so, consequently, I'm going to say this year that the sales decline stabilizes. I think this is going to be actually, because of all the ways they get to count this, this is the one year I think they're going to break out. I think if not this year, it's for sure next year. They may only get back or maybe just a little bit of growth. Um, But the question is, with the launch of the Skylanders toy line, that to me is the next CCG. The idea of the collectible toy that's also interactive with your right. with your, your base systems, your Xboxes, your Playstations, your computers. No, I no, I think the Skylanders idea is brilliant and I think the idea of using an existing platform to tie that into is the way to go. We've seen um, you know, collectible things before that were kind of their own platform and they never quite materialized. But here's why I, th- I think the sales decline will at most stabilize. Xbox 720. Well, that was, see, that was, that's to me the wild card because I'm in that for just the same reason of saying that may be why it becomes the big breakout is because platforms launch again this year. Mm. Interesting. With, we both have. With platforms launching, does that mean that, like with the Wii, Suddenly, there's this big boom, and they've got a toy line out there that you know takes advantage of this, et cetera, et cetera, because that's a big deal. I mean, when with the electronics market, when there's a platform launch, that's a big deal. Oh, it's a huge deal, and I think PS4 is also rumored to be coming out this year. Yeah, it, we're we're looking at the two big players, both having new platforms. It's it's a now that said, I think that will benefit one category of the mass market. In fact, the more I think about it, I, I might even say that the sales decline doesn't stabilize, that it goes down even further when those come out because so much mass market game sales are fourth quarter and they are going to be competing for with kids who are like, no, 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 mom, I want the Xbox 720. I don't care. That's the only thing I want. I'll do anything. Just give me that one you know, thing for Christmas. I don't know that they're also going to get Monopoly Risk or Skylanders or the new stuff, but it'll be interesting to see. I think this is something, you know, right before we were talking about the show, we were saying, what do we disagree on? We don't disagree on anything. I think I disagree with you here. Okay, yeah. Well, like I say, to me, this is going to be the platforms are going to be the the wild card part of it because if the toy lines hit with the platforms, they're either going to go wild because that's the first new thing you've got for the platforms, Mm-hmm. Or they're just going to be good because 
the platforms have to get out there. They have to get stabilized and everything else. And it'll be the following year that they they make their big jump. Yes. And I can't call that. All right. Well, we'll have to see. Because they're going to release too late. That's really the problem. If the platform's released in the summer, I'd be absolutely it'll be this year. Oh, but I since they're going to release at the holiday season... And, you know, platforms aren't going to be cheap. My guess is we're going to be lucky if we see a $700 platform. Oh, I don't think they'll be. Oh, well, I think the high-end ones might run that with the extra storage. But platforms have a well-established price point. They're going to have to come in below $499. Um, they didn't before. Three, You know, the, yeah, but the, PlayStation, the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 both came in at the $600 mark. Yeah, but at $700, I can buy a, I can buy a fairly decent gaming rig. Uh, no I mean, disagreement. I, you know, just, I mean, I just know there's, pointing it out because they still don't make money on those things. I know. So, anyways, we'll we'll have to see. And I think they'll launch. I think they'll launch October. They want to build up. Well, yeah, that's Black the Christmas Friday. season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they launch at the end of October, typically around the fourteenth to the to the twenty eighth of October. Right, but that's uh, early enough because you make want them in impact. stores for the whole full se- holiday season. Yes, but I think that's early enough to make an impact. But we'll have to see where well, the bets are on the table. We'll see. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the end of December. In the, non, in the non-traditional category of video games. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. We, we've, we have well, uh, finally thrown the gauntlets down. No, no, no. I think we both think that the video games are going to be a huge hit. The The issue is how do they affect mass market game sales? And I'm saying that, that exactly. Uh, exactly. It, it could be interesting. So, Well, that's why I said it depends on how they count. Now, moving from the multi-bazillion dollar category of mass market, let's move to categories that don't matter. <laughs> but happen to be our favorite parts of gaming bang yeah pull the trigger on that one uh minis uh let's start with the miniatures category and Rhett, i'm gonna let you go first oh no you you have a great one here i'm gonna let you you give right. your prediction this is my wild ass guess for the year because really nothing else matters in the minis market i'm gonna get hate mail for that games workshop is going to be purchased by ffg who will take them private <laughs> uh, you know Given? Three months ago, I'd have I'd have just laughed until I fell out of my chair over that concept. Um, given what's happened already this year, <laughs> that may be truer than anyone believes at this point. I'm t- they already um, fired the you know, CEO. GW GW just lost their CEO uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, I cannot wait until April when you know the state of the of GW comes out. And uh, I get to see how they spin their sales on a publicly traded company, which means they will have to tell us what their sales were. Correct. And well, here's the thing that about GW is that GW is an immensely profitable company by game industry standards. All right, even in a bad year, uh, as has happened in the last couple of years, they have been. And what are they making? Forty million pounds, uh, something like uh, something between actually 30, in the thirty million pound okay. range. Thirty million pounds, figure forty to forty-five million dollars. That's a really big game company uh, by hobby market standards. And if in fact, if you look at Hasbro's game division, I wouldn't be surprised if um, you know it was comparable. But as a private, as a as a publicly traded company. They are under so much pressure to maintain sales and maintain profit margins that I think it's forcing them to do things that are detrimental to the long-term health of that company, including selling codexes for eighty dollars and you know speeder bikes. <laughs> They're for, only fifty. Yeah, 
whatever. So the the point is is that people have complained about Games Workshop pricing for for God knows how long, and the the one of the reasons is that they've got to keep those margins high. They have to keep profits up as a publicly traded company. Their stock goes in the tank if they don't do better than last quarter. So, anyways, that's my I, there is a basis for my for my wag for my wild ass guess. You can't see me waving my arm like. <laughs> As if to, yeah. I've seen you wave your arms. Yeah, that's I right. That's imagine like. we're not an audio podcast, folks. Zoom. You know, you just imagine. Uh, okay, so now, Rhett, your take on the on the miniatures market is a little less dramatic. Um, well, I don't think that GW is going to disappear. That's uh, that's really my my difference here between you. Um, what I do think, though, is that we're going to see a lot more plastics enter the market. Um, we're going to see people expanding. And the biggest stuff here is, you know, kind of once we get back to the very bottom of this whole thing, Kickstarter. Um, more than anywhere else, I think the miniatures market is getting the boost from Kickstarter. People that would have never been able to get out there before mm-hmm. are, you know, are creating amazing levels of company. Um, overnight, you know, we we already saw that this summer with the with the launch of uh, oh, um, cool mini or nots board games that were so mm-hmm. successful. Um, with uh, is it Cryptozoic who released Zombicide? Oh, I can uh, I think so. I'm yeah, not sure. um, Zombicide, another you know board game, but very heavily oriented towards its minis. Minis is what drove Zombicide's success. Um, uh. McVeigh's new game, which just actually hit, you know, consumers like a week or two ago, um, you know, another crazy, crazy success, almost a million dollar company there. A deluxe ogre, you know, kind of not really a miniatures game, kind right. of a board game, but again, million dollar successes. Um, they're Kickstarter's what's doing this as plastics become cheaper as the ability to do prototyping becomes more homebound, um, I think we're just going to see more and more people moving into the plastics end of the market. And even major companies having to shift things. Um, it's almost certain that the, the second biggest minis company out there arguably is... Um, Battlefront, the people who do uh, Flames of War, mm-hmm. in order to stay competitive in their market, are going to come out with more plastics. They already did a full plastic starter set. I'm sure they're going to do a big input in plastics when it comes to 2013. Well, you know, I think is the the thing with plastics, by the way, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's the kind of plastics that you want to make a miniatures out of, like a Games Workshop miniature, that is a hard plastic, and it requires a different kind of mold than a that basically a, a a soft plastic. Okay, think of the risk pieces would be a soft plastic. Okay, so consequently, it is more difficult to make and more difficult to design a hard edged piece like that. It's not it's not the same as you sculpt it and then you slap it into a mold. There's, there's, it is actually a, it's a different metal. It's harder to make. And where I'm going with this from a manufacturing perspective, as the, as the wagon ruts become a little more grooved and familiar 
more people will be doing this. Certainly as we get more expertise in some of the, you know, like you've seen some of the spaceships for a while have been laser CAD designed for yeah. the hard plastics. And I think it will, we'll see more of the, of the miniatures themselves being designed that way. Well, so, well absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, you look at GW who is state of the industry. I mean, GW's molds are actually in motion. They're not just two halves. You know, this is not just two pieces pressed together. You fill a cavity and you pop it out. They have parts that are moving in and out in, in order to keep hollows inside of it and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why you can cast a single piece bolter rifle with a hollow barrel because there's a part that actually moves in and out of that. Yeah, and these, um, yeah, these are not cheap. Um, they're not cheap and they are really, you know, high end, state of the arts molds that are being used in an entertainment field um and that's because they become economical to do so and are continuing to we'll see that more and more right so all right so miniatures i say games workshop gets purchased by ffg and goes private Rhett says the market uh gw is going to be a big player but as their prices go up uh you you said that their their market share you think they're going to go down a little bit i don't think they're going to go down um, sadly, I think they're going to, they're, well, actually maybe this year they do go down again. Um, they have been declining and other people have been filling in, you know, we've definitely seen three, I would say the three big successes of all position themselves this year for 2013 to take a, a bigger run at GW more because GW stumbling than they're, you know, jumping sure. up and leaping away. But Reaper, with their entire Bones thing that's you know done from Kickstarter, being able to drop their fantasy figure price from uh, an average of five ninety nine to about two and a half dollars, um, that's a huge, huge thing that's going to impact stuff. Especially as we get closer and closer to things like D and D five, you know, yeah. where people are going to look for toys um, and rules being designed for stuff. You know, if if I have a figure line that I can count on, you know because it's cheap to produce, you know, here's another rule set. Um, right. You know, it's. I just don't see anybody making a breakout yet in the miniatures line. So far, there has not been the next D&D or the next Magic for miniatures where everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to play all the time. And speaking of things that I like to play all the time, let's talk about, and an even smaller niche. <laughs> yeah. Zing. Uh, let's talk about the historical market. And the story over the past couple of years with that has been the growth of non-traditional or, in generally, card-based war games. Right. Uh, there's, there's a, this, this is growing, and, and, and part of the, part of the reason for this is, uh, how can I say this? I, I love the, the hex-based cardboard shit board games, but, I don't have time to master a 48-page rulebook anymore. So I like to be able to make those decisions, but yeah, I like to be able to play it in an hour and a half and do it with 16 to 24 pages of rules. And that's the, the non-traditional games are filling this niche uh, for the, for, I don't want to say the hardcore historical gamer, but you know what I'm saying, the, the person who wants a simulation. Right. But doesn't have time to sit down and play Advanced Squad Leader. And this is actually... This has been the growth in the in the historical market over the last, I don't know, I would say uh, three years at least. Yeah, I'd um, say that's about right. Yeah. So, like I said, the big one last year was A Few Acres of Snow. 
Uh, I want to say, is it Collins War Games who does uh, Operation Spearpoint? Um, there's a, there's a few others that they're but they're card based, and there's again there's a there there. You're making historical based decisions, but it's not the traditional historical game. I think we're going to see the continued growth of those. I don't think we're going to see a breakout, but uh, I do think that that category is going to continue to grow, and hopefully, what we will see uh, a bit of a breakout in the in the next year or two. But I don't think it's this year. I, yeah, I, I'm not certain we'll ever see a breakout in there, simply because I think with the American population, history is less important than fantasy and science fiction as a as a topic of entertainment. Yes, um, the reason that we see vampires, a living dead series as opposed to, you know, why the Romans are cool, um, you know, succeed in television uh, it is the same thing we're going to see always in the same part of our universe of gaming. Um, but I do think we're going to continue to see the renaissance of historical gaming. We're going to see more games out, you know, being produced mm -hmm. annually than we you know, were produced in previous years type of thing. Um, there's going to be a lot of interesting ones. Actually, one of the, the ones that really got me this year is um, there's an Axis and Allies World War One game coming out. And that's the first time that Axis and Allies has taken an approach to not World War Two. Interesting. Well, hopefully, when I see this, speaking of World War One. One of the breakout games that helped redefine historical gaming and get it out of the rut that it had been for ages was Paths of Glory, right? Right. which is a World War One simulation game. And let's face it, if you look at World War One, we have a stalemate uh, that lasts for ages, for years, and has traditionally been viewed as absolutely a boring gaming experience. And Paths of Glory, with its card-based system and its point-to-point -point movement, changed it. And so that it was a stalemate, but boy, you fought tooth and nail to maintain it. It was a really great game. And that I would consider that a breakout historical. That and like, like Twilight Struggle would be another good example. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. I think, although with Axis and Allies World War One, now I'm just concerned they're going to give you 10,000 pieces in the box. And each turn you lose about, you know, 4,000. <laughs> but well, you know that would that would actually feel like World War One. Yeah. You have this nice line that's of right. troops, and every time you get to you know sweep your hand, and that's how many get wiped out. That's right. Um, you know, you you go over and each turn, each player gets the opportunity to kick one of the table legs, and whatever pieces fall off the board, those are losses. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting spin because there's less troop things that, that yeah. would be involved initially than would have been in, you know, the World War II version of Axis and Allies. But then it's going to grow. You know, that's the one I think is kind of yeah. cool because Axis and Allies uses technology as part of its game right. system. And World War One is definitely a game of new technology dominating the battlefields to eventually cause the victories so we'll see. Okay. I, mean, I don't right. think it's right. going to be huge. As a history guy, we're going to have to have words about that later off the air. I don't <laughs> think that I don't think the introduction of the tank or poison gas changed the outcome of that war. But and the airplane didn't have much of an effect either. But they laid the ground for things later. But we'll we'll argue about that over a beer sometime. Um, I do want to move on to talking about manufacturing. Now we've talked about this in. Uh, in a couple of episodes previously, and uh, about the onshoring, and yep. I'm going to say I don't want to go into this too long because there's something else that I want to uh, talk about in here. But I, I I think that 
maybe this will continue as long as the economics stay the same, which is that it has become cheaper to manufacture in the U.S. and prices overseas are rising as the Chinese say, you know what, I'd kind of like to move out of the worker dormitory. Well, I'd, and, and I totally agree with you there in the sense of that we're, we're going to see prices overseas shift moving up. I don't see a change in the the ongoing pricing of fuel, which means that shipping becomes more and more and more and more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many advantages that I won't get into on this discussion of being able to talk to somebody domestically, culturally, time-wise, et cetera, et cetera, um, versus someone overseas. And why people have learned, not just in our industry, but in industry in general, why that's an advantage. And that, you know, the competitiveness is starting to to disappear. Um, if, if it's printing, I think we're going to see more and more of it done in North America. If it's assembly, um, you have to actually take it and, you know, instead of just having a sprue of figures come out, you have final complete figures come out it's still going to have to be overseas because the labor costs would kill you anywhere else yeah well you know and and i think uh your company has has done some assembly here and i know mayfair does their assembly here but you have you're going to have to have a ton of think plastics will still be made overseas and, uh, absolutely i mean you and know for it, companies it's as who, simple yeah. as if you're going to produce a game you know to use our company as an example if you're going to use a, a game like Leviathans, where those ships are models, they're assembled and painted, it has to be done overseas. We couldn't get Correct. the pricing even remotely close to do something here in the U.S. Correct. On the other hand, if what we're talking about is I'm going to produce a card game, uh, be it you know a card game a la um, like Dominion or a card game a la like... Um, uh, Steve Jackson's um, Munchkin, right? You know where you have a small box with a set number of cards. Um, I think those are all going to, you know, switch from being overseas to coming back to the U.S. Oh, absolutely! Because every everything's an advantage. About the costs are close. The shipping prices start to add into that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and close is usually good enough. That, and I think there is absolutely. By the the decision making people in this industry, if you can get it close enough, they will go with the U.S. first. And I agree. And I, well, I think that everyone, certainly all the all the major companies over the past three years, have all had one or more stories of manufacturing in China going wrong. And I and, I, and again, I'm not saying that the quality is is bad in China or whatever, but delays in production or or you know, one one or another story, things that that in the U.S. right, you don't have you don't have to worry about a four month lead time, so your capital is tied up less. There's no communication difference. There's no time difference. Your uh, the person who is laying out your art, uh, their native language is English, so they they will catch things that you won't catch in China. Uh, there are advantages to doing it if you can get the pricing remotely close, and this has always been the problem. 
with manufacturing in the U.S. is that the pricing wasn't close. Well, now Chinese prices are rising, and U.S. prices have stayed uh, fairly constant and in some cases dropped. So I, I I do think this this will continue. I don't know if this is the year for that to take off. We'll have to see. I don't know that I would say it was the year, but I think we're going to, like I said before, I think we're going to see more and more and more of this. It really comes down to the products. You know, yes. Are we going to see more products with assembled pieces in it, um, pre-painted pieces in it? You know, mm-hmm. Wiz Kids is never going to make one of those games in the U.S. No, no. There's um, they're, they're, they're not, they're, the printing in the U.S. has become cost-effective. I, the the other stuff. If you ship in your plastics in a, in a tray already, even the assembly in in many cases can can be competitive. Uh, but there are certain things that are just going to be done better, uh, or not not better, but but much cheaper overseas. Uh, that said, uh, I have one thing I have to mention before we move on. Zombicide, by the way, is a cool mini or not game. I it, it is up. cool mini. Yeah, okay. I went over to the geek while we were we were talking. And the other thing I wanted to say, we got one more thing to talk about for manufacturing, and that read. Is Kickstarter, well, and I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, in terms of if you are if you are coming into the industry and doing your company's first game, you you've got to do Kickstarter now. Even if the game is completely funded, you need to do a Kickstarter campaign because it used to be you do a developer blog or you do some other stuff on the geek, and now it's it's Kickstarter. It's got to be you, you've got to have a Kickstarter campaign. Become the the new social media of how you get your product. Awareness developed, Mister 180 Degrees. Uh, I yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I will be yeah, the first I, I one think to admit is yeah, that I, a, you know, why it may do well for other industries. I think it is the godsend to this industry. I think I think there are things going on in this industry as far as where money's going that would never have happened if it wasn't for Kickstarter. There, there are people who are now playing these games that probably would never have gotten to a traditional brick and mortar mm-hmm. to find a game like this. They might not have even found it online, you know. Um, right. Th- this is the levels that some of these games are being successful at would never have happened except for the social media part of Kickstarter. Well, right, let me let me go on record is saying that um, when, I, when I think about my initial opinion of how Kickstarter was going to affect the industry, um, there should be a veritable panoply of onomatopoeic words. Uh, bang, <laughs> pow, kaboom, sock. Uh, it should look like a Batman from the 60s TV show. Uh, I was wrong, and I, I, have, I, I, have, I missed that one completely. I should be beaten soundly for it. And so consequently, I, I, when, I, when I say if you're starting a game company and you're not on Kickstarter, you're doing it wrong, I really, truly have come 180 degrees on my position on Kickstarter. Before I thought this is something to do. Um, may, you know, okay, if you, you know, if that and the other thing. No, now this is something you, you really need, you have to do this. Yeah, I, I mean, I I had that hammered home yet again, not like I needed it hammered home again, but I just had that hammered home yet again this week. Um, one of my local gaming group guys decided he needed a little side project and decided in order to do that side project, he had enough people locally that he would do okay if he made it. It was a laser-based cutting project. And he decided to put it on Kickstarter. Uh, he wanted six grand. He's still going right now. I believe his uh, end day is this weekend. Um, he's over 80000 right now. You know, and mm-hmm. 
this is you know just beyond anything he ever anticipated. Uh, th- like I said, this was just like a, a sideline kind of hobby project that he decided to put out there. <laughs> I, I it's just it blows me away. I mean, these are it's 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 a niche within a niche, and he raised so much above his goal. This is where uh, this is this is one of the things that has really impressed me about Kickstarter is that you can succeed in ways you didn't think possible. And and even if you don't blow away expectations, like trying to raise 6000 and getting 80000 this is something that you, the, the press, right, if you meet your goal, you've already got a built-in audience. This is GMT's P500 for the masses. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that to me is really what we're looking at. We're, we're looking at things that this industry has done for years. The historical board game subscription programs, the miniatures games, um, like use an example there, Eureka's 300 program where you needed 300 people to come out and come, they'd have an idea proposed and once they got 300 people that would go for it, they would make the the piece. Not a whole lot of that ever really got done compared to the number of pieces that were submitted. If these were Kickstarter programs, they'd probably all be funded. It's just outrageous how much money's out there. And that I think this is actually finding people not just in our industry. This is not the, like I say, this is not the guy who's going to be your typical gamer who walks into, you know, uh, his local brick and mortar or shops online or reads board game geek. Um, you know, they're discovering these from lots of other directions. And, right. and you've touched on this before that that is Kickstarter is a way to bring in folks outside of our, our, our core audience. And, and I guess my, my, it's that's gravy that that's i'm saying that with with within our industry it's got to it, it kickstarter is the way to go now right it, yeah. it, forget forget that's like an added bonus that those people will come in and, and come into your game i'm saying that that within the industry you've got to do kickstarter uh, i agree forget like this, i said yeah. to me it's it's the new social media part yeah. um this is what's going to link more and more people to knowing what you're doing and being excited by it, even before, you know, the weird part of it is not only are they excited about it, they're committing money to it before you actually even have product on hand. This is yeah. the best of both, you know, of yeah. all worlds exactly. from a manufacturer's standpoint. Yeah, no, as long as you can yeah. deliver. It's, yeah, bingo. Yeah. It, what you Now, again, failing in a Kickstarter campaign, not good because you've just failed publicly. On the other hand, so you do kind of want to make sure that your Kickstarter campaign at least meets its goal. Absolutely. So, so if you have a, if you have a ton of, if you have your funding already lined up, go get some from Kickstarter anyway, set the goal low so you can meet it, but you'll get some press for doing so. And that I think is a critical one. Like I say, it's, it's the, the ability to hit the social media, to get out to all these other areas and yeah. get people enthusiastic about a product before it gets out. Um, yeah. It's what advertising's there for. Exactly. And so, all right. So, manufacturing, onshoring. I say, um, it, it, yes, it's it's maybe going to continue. You're saying it's going to continue, but this might not be the year. We both say Kickstarter, Stone Cold, got to do it. You know, or Stone, yeah. yeah, this is yeah. this is huge. Yeah, make sure you're you're on board with it. All right. So finally, our last category: retail stores. And here, this, this is the entirety of my notes for this category, folks. Dismal as usual. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, status quo. I don't I think mean, we're going to see anything yeah. changing in retail store, the stores um, because, to me, uh, 
The only time we'll see a huge breakout is after we've seen a huge breakout in product. When someone launches the next big, cool game, mm-hmm. a year after that, retail will start to increase. Well, Two know, years after that, if, it, if the trend continues on that success, the number of stores involved will be enormous. Well, the, the thing about retail is, is it's so much of it is how well you run your store the, and how, how good your location is in, in the community you build around the store. Uh, so I don't want to say it's, it's you know, dismal as usual. I just mean that so, so many stores fail for reasons that aren't related to industry-wide things. Uh, that said, uh, I think you've, um, you've really touched on something there when you talk about uh, product and big trends in product because – one of the things I've noticed over the last couple of years, and I think this will continue in 2013, is the board game focused store. Not role playing games, not necessarily collectible card games. They might carry a few of these, but what we're talking about is a board game store that carries hobby market board games, but that also really brings in folks from the general audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that these stores are. The way you know that's that they're the bomb that they're going to do really well. I have saying I, I'm I've seen a lot of these, but it, it you're right. It absolutely reflects the growth of board games over the last few years. So you know maybe they'll. Uh, so yeah, I can see that trend continuing. And we had one other. Oh, that's what we were going to talk about in retail. Big box. Big box. Does the fact that Target now carries a huge selection of hobby games does that impact retail? Um, it'll be interesting to see because I don't think it actually impacted them this year. Uh, again, to me, where we would see it is they go to the big box during holiday season. They get involved into the the Settlers of Catan game, mm-hmm. the um, Days of Wonder uh, train games. You know, whichever. Right. Train game that they happen to have in there at the time, um, pandemics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. They get involved in there. That's the starter point. Finally, enjoy this stuff. They're still not going to have you know. They're not going to turn around and next year have twenty games in there. They might have fifteen. Um, there will probably be some new ones versus the ones they had this year, mm-hmm. but they still won't be the add-ons. They'll just be. The starter point. So you think it, you think that the big box will will serve as sort of a gateway to get people who may discover the game and target into Pete's Dungeon Pit. Exactly. You know they'll they'll be in you know they'll get you to your friendly locals, and equally so is if you can discover a way to create community in your local area and you are a gamer, um, be it through your libraries, be it through all these other things. You're going to have more players. You're going to have new people to play with. Um, you know, so the opportunities will come up to meet new people and play games with them. Um, oddly enough, you know, the the big difference between this part of the industry and the multi-billion-dollar electronic industry is literally the social contact. These are people talking to each other. Uh, interacting directly with each other face to face as opposed to across the internet. Yeah. Now uh, that's and that's and that's always been the draw for me. I know that's a huge draw for you. It's that's what makes a difference. So, 
that social aspect, and that's something that retail has always had to deal with. And how do we build a community around the store to continue to support, you know, to, to get people coming in? And social media enables that more uh, with Facebook and Yahoo, you know, email groups and things like that. Uh, but again, for 2013, that hasn't changed. That was the same as it was in, in 2012. Yeah, I, I, again, there, there's nothing here, including big box. Uh, I don't see a downside to big box yet. I don't see that they're no, going to. I agree. I you know hurt agree. hurt the industry on a negative impact of not having any games in there, or hurt the industry on the opposite extreme of having tons of choices in there and taking away all the top end sellers that would have traditionally been in the in the standard brick and mortar store. Yeah, I don't think they steal enough, and and I don't. That's a pejorative term. But I don't think they steal enough sales year-round to affect the hobby market. Well, I think what they do is you might lose out on a few sales of some some of a Settlers of Catan type game at Christmas time because yeah, I don't think people I'm are still the going general to the opinion big box that most too. of the yeah. people who shop at a big box store versus your brick and mortar mm -hmm. um, would never have found your brick and mortar for the most part. The the vast majority of those ninety plus percent of those they'd never discover your store. Um, this way they might because of looking for the expansion. Well, I'm just waiting for uh, FLGSs to start carrying pantsuits and baby food. Compete uh, with the well, go, take those go big box guys on. And uh, actually, the the maternity or makeup um, makeup I think is the the big one. Um, that's when Toys R Us comes after you. <laughs> uh, I, I thought women's makeup was their big growth area this year. Um, I, was, you know, I didn't it was even, strange. I did, yeah, I did not try and parse TRU's stuff this year. I, I, I truly did not. Uh, but that said, yeah, I don't, I don't think the FLGSs are going to try and take the big box stores on, you know, head on. Uh, but anyways, uh, that said, that's that's our our 2013 predictions this year. Now we we had uh, longtime uh, listener uh, Alex Swingle uh, sent in his listener prediction for 2013, which was he says. Red and I will manage to get more than 10 shows out this year. Yeah, we're being challenged by that already, Alex. We'd just like to point out that, yeah, you know, yeah. your prediction may not be as accurate as you'd hope. Yeah, we're already two weeks late on this show. Thank you, Alex. We're already feeling the pressure of your prediction. <laughs> on the other hand, if we, you know, actually, if we make his prediction wrong, then we'll continue to look like the smartest two guys in the game industry. Well, there you go. All right. Sorry. So, okay, everybody, just, you know, we're going to do nine more episodes this year. <laughs> Just yeah, just to stuff Alex and make us look brilliant. No, anyways, the uh, that said, uh, Rhett, we we got a couple of things coming up, and 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 let's touch on those briefly. Yeah, we've uh, got Toy Fair right now. Uh, Toy Fair will be probably yeah. going on in theory uh, <laughs> at about the time that the show comes out. You know, every other year, and, uh, it, every you know, other year, it may or may not go back. on based on the weather. Seems to be. Uh, well, you know, the thing with Toy Fair, though, is is every other year, well, it's not even every other year. Every year there's a snowstorm. It's either, it either comes at the beginning of the show or the end of the show. And, and like, every other year it hits leaving or coming from the, you know, right? So it, it, it it's situation normal at Toy Fair. Well, if, if this, this was a regular snowstorm, I would go with you on that one. This seems like it's supposed to be, like, you know, the monster snowstorm. Maybe not of only of the year, but the monster snowstorm. How can um, I, I, I will believe this could it when be I see it. really devastating to the to the entire Northeast, and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, best of luck out there for you guys. Yes. The next thing is uh, GTS. 
Um, Gamma Show is, I believe, March 15th. Without having a calendar in front of me, I can't be that that accurate. And I neglected to write down the dates as well. But, yeah, it's mid-March. And now you're going to GTS, right? I am. I am okay. at GTS. So we're, we're going to have a, uh, some, some great firsthand information out of uh, Gamma Trade. Show. Well, I can certainly tell you all that you would want to know about Catalyst Games. The challenge <laughs> then becomes how much more do I find out in the interim time. Uh, I do work that show. Yes. Uh, fortunately, though, I, I do have a couple of uh, local retailers who yep. are friends of mine who are also going to be in attendance. They yep. tend to give me some pretty good briefings on you know what they saw, what was cool. You hear that? Uh, especially yeah. one of the guys going this year. Um, really good, really good guy, a closer friend of mine, and it's his first time to GTS, so it's going to be really neat to see his impressions as a first time person oh, be to the show. That'll be great. So, all right, Paper Money has stringers. anyways the the thing about toy fair 2 is uh we've got uh, a couple of the guys from purple pawn are going to the show and i will i promise that we will hit them up for information uh about the show and we're going to get some first-hand accounts uh they've got meetings with some of the big companies and we're going to be uh pumping them for information although they've told me that it's got they have to have the story on the site before they can tell it on the show uh but uh, like I said, right after Toy Fair, we're going to do a follow-up on that, and we're going to do the same thing with GTS in March. All righty. That's a wrap. That's it. Well, yeah, that that's everything. That's pretty amazing. I love this. This is one of my favorite shows that we get to do, folks. So that's it for me. I'm Ben Clark. And I'm Red Kip. And we'll see you next time.